Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril with my brother, Pastor Elliot Anderson. And you guys are part of the very first Love and Life podcast live event. Thank you so much for joining us today. Woo-woo. And thank you, Instagram community, for being with me all the way. Let's kick it off. Let's start with just the basic notion of what is intimacy, because I think It's used as a euphemism sometimes for different activities. And (laughs) we want to make sure we're on the same page when we're talking about intimacy. It's something that I know that we are wired up to desire. And that's a God-given desire. And we can feel disconnected. We can feel a void when we don't have that intimate connection that we want. But we also want to go about it in the proper way to build that authentic intimacy. So let's start with from the beginning. What's the definition? Yeah, the definition I like to use for intimacy is it's being known and fully knowing someone. And there's three A's that I like to put in that. You are accepted for who you are, you're appreciated for who you are, and you're affirmed for who you are. And building that type of intimacy takes time. And so, yes, the euphemism, of course, I I hate the fact that sexual relationship has become a euphemism for intimacy because intimacy is so much more than just that, though that might be the most fun one. There is many, many forms of intimacy that matter. So, you know, when you say accepted, affirmed, and appreciated. So when I was single for all those years, I wanted someone and one of my former Judson classmates, he and I, he and I were best friends, and he would say, I just want you to have someone who gets you, right? That, that notion of someone sees me, sees the strengths, sees the weaknesses, sees all the God-given wiring that makes me unique and just fully gets who you are, what you're about. So that's what it, like that accepted, affirmed, and appreciated. So those are three really powerful words. And how do you see those playing out specifically with the couples you work with and the singles you work with? And then also, where do you see that sometimes things go awry? Yeah, and I think the early stages of building intimacy are the same across gender, And whether it's gender to gender or different gender, romantic or non-romantic, I think the same principles apply. So to really be appreciated, affirmed, and accepted, you have to spend time together, talking together, sharing activities together, experiences together, uh, and building an appropriate uh, bond of relationship that is not just singular. So my classes know how upset I get about hookup culture and the whole reality of backwards intimacy. And so when we jump into physical intimacy first, whether that's fully sexual engagement or not, we're reversing the proper process of building intimacy. So since physical intimacy, and if we're talking sexual intimacy, is like the culmination of intimacy for a man and woman relationship, to to do that first without building the emotional connection, the mental connection, the time connection, the bond connection, just gets everything distorted and out of whack. And so, as Karen said, for someone to get you takes time. Mm -hmm. I mean, we are siblings. And as you can probably see, my students, there's some similar energy here between us uh, with the energy, the hyperness and and the uh, drive and the passion. And yet it took us as siblings probably until my late high school for us to actually be friends. Because you were mean. That is a big part of it. That you was were a such big, a bully. That was a big part you of it. You don't even know. I have so many stories. I, I, and, I, and I am sorry again. I publicly apologize. <laughs> but the same thing is true with your roommates, right? So you have roommates you start out with, and maybe they become lifelong best friends, but that doesn't happen the first week of school. It takes time and energy and conversations. You know, whenever you have those late night conversations with somebody, you know you're starting to build that intimacy. And so sometimes in the romantic world, since we are talking about dating, we get so excited about that intimacy build and infatuated with the person as a whole, and we just jump some levels and and go right into the physical. And it might be wonderful experience, but now you have a gap. Now you've created a foundational level of intimacy. The scriptures teach it as cement-like bond, a glue-like bond. You've cemented that without really knowing the person, without getting the person. 
And I think people want to fast track it. And we have a lot of notions in our culture, love at first sight. And we think that a slow build is maybe less sexy, less exciting, and maybe less genuine. Maybe we think we've heard the stories from our grandmother. I knew your grandpa was the one after one day in class in third grade. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I want what grandma and grandpa have. So we start thinking the fast track is maybe the, we might even convince ourselves or because we've heard enough and internalized some of these notions from society and from the love songs that we, we convince ourselves if it's not fast tracked, then maybe we're not that into each other. And you're saying, as a matter of fact, the slower build is going to be the genuine intimacy. Yeah. There's a reason Hallmark movies are popular. There's a reason period pieces from long time ago are popular because the intimacy gets built slowly. And maybe the man and woman don't even kiss until the very last episode. But there's so much energy going and they take the time to get to know each other. And so, yeah, we say that's old fashioned. But communication research tells us that the emotional mental intimacy is an initial stronger intimacy than the physical. Because if there's not the understanding of who we are before the physical, it's inauthentic, mm-hmm. even if it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, it makes me think about and I know. Most of the women in my community, and I could probably speak for all of them, and I'm sure many of you in this room, you want to be, like I said, like we said, you want to be seen. You want to be seen for who you truly are, and you want to have that person get you, and you want to meet your person. And at the same time, you don't want it to be that someone's just like, oh, I really want a wife. You know, before I graduate, I want a wife. So um, you're cute, and uh, we'll probably have cute kids, so let's... Put on a dress, let's go down the aisle, right? We want that legitimate connection, like you're saying, a, a genuine connection. And I always talk about, and it's a little controversial because some people don't like this approach, but I always talk about how we want to be wanted and desired as opposed to needed, right? Because if some guy's just like, I need, here's my, my life's plan, graduate college, check, go to grad school, check, get married, check, have a kid by 30, check and I happen to be walking along and fit the bill, it's not about me. It's just about his agenda. So if he needs someone for his life's plan to work out as he sees it working out, that's not, to me, genuine intimacy. That's just, well, you'll do. I mean, maybe that could work in the end, but it's not what I would prescribe. Yeah, and as we concretize, because I know you love that word. I was talking to my ladies about that word earlier. As my students, sorry, that sounded terrible. As we concretize... Uh, in the romantic, thank you. In the romantic notion of building intimacy, infatuation plays a huge part. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not against infatuation. There's a natural dopamine high with infatuation. That's very exciting. And you want to enjoy that, but actually use that extra energy and passion to get to know them better Mm -hmm. emotionally, mentally, experientially, rather than sexually. Mm -hmm. And that's hard because it's, it's really counter countercultural. It's also counter biological because as our father used to say, the power of procreation for the human race. We're already talk about it's primordial drive. Yes, he would start talking theoretically about that sex drive, and he worked with college students his whole life as well. So the, it is counter that that pace that Karen's talking about to really be known fully for who you are, and yet at the same time enjoy that infatuation as a tool for developing the relationship, rather than just how quick can we mess around. Takes some discipline, doesn't it? Yeah, and a level of self-awareness, again, to, to recognize even if I'm totally madly in love with this person, it is not the right development for the relationship to jump in so fast. Yeah, and I do want to echo what you just said, and I don't know if you guys have talked about this in your coursework, but when I was teaching, I loved this model by Dr. Robert Sternberg, and it's the triangular theory of love. There's three components for that total package relationship, that true love that we're all deeply desiring. And the first is commitment, right? We want someone who we can trust and who will be faithful to us. And that's very key. And then the second is intimacy. And in this part, according to Sternberg's model, he's talking about intimacy in terms of your friendship, right? We want to marry our best friend. We want to have someone who we laugh with, who we enjoy the same hobbies and we can go and and pal around together. That's a deep part of intimacy as well. And I know, Elliot, you're going to get to some of those Uh, different variations of intimacy in a bit. And then we also want to have the romantic connection, that spark, that sexual attraction. And we can have two of the three and do okay sometimes. And if you've had, like my story is I 
Started dating at 15, came to Judson and dated here and then post and didn't get married until I was 42. So I had a lot of long-term relationships. And sometimes I had all three of those factors. Sometimes I only had two and would try to make it work because he's a really good guy and I really want it to work. Also, sidebar, called off an engagement at 34. Because of that, I had a guy who was committed to me. He was a kind, loving, successful, driven man who would have made a great father. He adored me. But that third element that Sturberg talks about, the spark, the romantic chemistry, I just kept hoping it would develop because I wanted it to be there because I wanted us to have that relationship. And it just never did. And I made it a bit dramatic by dating him for four years and calling off the wedding too much. But drama is what you do, so that's good. (laughs) (laughs) But it was that the desire to have all three prongs there, but they weren't. And that's why I love that model. It's very concrete. Mm -hmm. And it's a a nice way for us to go, okay, let me look at the model. What element of this relationship isn't quite there? And then to be honest, like you said, have that self-awareness to go, you know, I'm not going to be that person who can go to the end of my life without passion. So if I marry this man, I'm probably going to cheat on this man. And that's not what I want to do. I know that's not what God wants me to do. So I had to be real honest. And that was not hard. I mean, not easy. And poor Elliot lived it. And my brother Warren lived it. And my friends. And it was our honor to walk you through it as your big brothers. That's no problem. But it was dramatic. I could have called it off a little bit earlier. (laughs) That's all right. And I I love Sternberg, as you know, his different styles of marriage and garden marriage stuff is what Angie and I have. So I I love him. And he'll talk about, too, in that triangle that really a form of that can be developed really fast. A form of commitment, a form of intimacy. And I lost the third one. Oh, and attraction. A, A form of those three can be developed immediately. But the sustaining power of those three has to be developed over time. Uh, that's why research tells us a lot of times too, just the idea of getting engaged prior to a year or a year and a half of relationship is not necessarily wise. Now, again, when my mom and dad got engaged back in the fifties, they would do it pretty quickly. And that was a different era coming out of the wars, all kinds of different things. But in this era, people are getting married later and later. And to build that appropriate triangle for that sustainment of the intimacy takes time. That's why I think one of the first things I want to say to all of our young uh, folks here tonight, too, is I think one of the biggest keys to building this appropriate intimacy in your relationships with same gender or romantic gender, romantic uh, uh, our partners, is to be yourself and not get caught trying to be what you think they want you to be. And that takes some real discernment and self-awareness. And if you're very excited about who that person is that is expressing interest, I'm not saying don't put your best game on or your best front on. I'm just saying, just try to be real. And if you truly hate tacos, for example, and this guy keeps wanting to take you to Taco Bell, (laughs) say early in the relationship, you hate tacos, just get it out. And that's a simple one. But when it talks about more significant things about whether you like your hand held or not, those are, those are pretty important things that can kind of mess with a relationship if you're not truly honest and upfront at once. And that self-awareness, that, that key to that building of the intimacy. And it's hard because two really wonderful people can just not be wonderful together. Or have a great relationship, but not one that... That is meant for marriage, meant, for meant marriage, to yeah. go the distance. And I think that's hard because so often we think, but it should work. We want it to work. The desire is there for both people. Like this makes all the sense in the world. And when I would talk about my ex-fiance, I'd always say, we looked perfect on paper, but there's that magical part of love that is a gift from God. That's And so you, you want that. And you, and we talk about a lot, a relationship shouldn't be such hard work (laughs) that you almost dread it as much as you enjoy it. It's okay. Sometimes relationships go through some tough times and you got to work through something. But the whole idea that it it exhausts you isn't a good sign. (laughs) It should encourage you and equip you and fill you up, even if there's some tough stuff you're going through. But again, that's another kind of message from the culture. Like, relationships are such hard work and the old ball and chain. And why? They shouldn't be hard work. If you're wired to do 
life together because you have a similar way of wanting to do life. You have similar values. And this gets back to the research. The, all the marriage research shows that people who are in happy, long-lasting, successful, satisfying, fulfilling marriages, they share the same core values. So if you want to do a start of like, like you said, do I know myself well enough to say, I don't like tacos? And then he's going to be like, well, that's all I can afford is Taco Bell. That's so, And then get. you look like you're a gold digger or something. And <laughs> yeah. No, but yeah. right. So mm -hmm. if you don't know yourself well enough to even know what are my values, or maybe you've inherited your values from your family. So one of the great things you can do to start building intimacy if you're single right now, I mean, we're speaking to those who are starting relationships, we're speaking to anyone who's in a relationship and wants to deepen the intimacy. But for my single folks out there, one really practical way to start building intimacy when you don't even know who you're going to be intimate with is to get clear on your values. There's all kinds of values clarification exercises you can find online. And I'm speaking to many people in this room are Christians, so we have some certain values that come by virtue of our faith. But aside from that, there's other values. And it's really helpful to know those. And I have some podcast episodes on that from acceptance and commitment therapy, which looks at the whole idea of acceptance and commitment therapy is to know your values and then be checking in with yourself. Are my behaviors moving me toward my values? Are they in alignment with my values? Am I committing to my values through my behaviors and my thought processes? Let me add a spiritual piece on the pastoral side. So one of the things I talk to couples about, if they're coming to me for pre-engagement or premarital, and I think it's on the end of the sheet there, it's talking about spiritual assessment. Is this basic intimacy building with this person of the opposite gender you're interested in pursuing a relationship, is it drawing you naturally closer to God? Is it helping you develop and grow in your faith independently and interdependently? Meaning you're more motivated personally to read God's word, to spend time in prayer, to want to be in the body of Christ, church or service, what that looks like, and also do it with them. And you have peace, right? My wife and I work hard in our lives and we're also kind of a debating kind of style couple. They scrap. Yeah, we, we don't mind it. And so there is some of that tension there that is drawn together, but it's also a, a part of the whole aspect of peace. And do I have peace when I'm with this person? Do I feel relaxed? Do I, do I feel calm? Not that every moment will be that way. Uh, but if you're in a relationship where there's a lot of toxicity and, and it gets to be like name calling and derogatory commentary and uh, those kind of things just will break intimacy down so quickly. And really when that starts to be revealed, it's already a sign to get out. Because uh, if you're wanting to be fully known and to be known, if you are then not affirmed, accepted, and appreciated, it's not to last. Um, and another point for those who are not dating somebody right now as well, you can't fully know someone if you don't know yourself. That's my opinion. And so spending time in self-awareness, knowing yourself, you know, we do a lot of that in, in the classes I teach because I think it's so important to understand our identity in Christ, our identity in self, and therefore how to have an identity with that partner someday. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the cliche in my space and the dating relationship space is like, you got to love yourself before anyone else is going to love you. Self-love is a process. I mean, again, those of us of faith, we know we have inherent value and worth and we are loved. And that deeply, all my rough times, calling off a wedding, all these massive breakups, there was that piece of, wow, it really hurts because I feel like I'm now 38 and single again and my heart is broken for like the 9,000th time. That's a hard word to say, people. 9,000th yeah. times. Why would I pick that, that I'm not sure it was a hard one. But, but I didn't have that feeling of not being worthy of love ever because I knew my inherent value in God and that God gave that to me and no one can take that away from me. Even some guys like, well, you're bleep, 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 bleep. And they did sometimes say such things because breakups can get ugly. But I always knew that I had worth in God and of course, really good parents too. Thank you, mom. Appreciate that. So yeah, so it's not this formulaic love yourself, check, then meet your person, but it is definitely begin to have that sense of that I, again, going back to what we talked about a few moments ago, that I have a sense of who I am. I feel full in, of, in and of myself and my relationship with God, and I'm not looking for someone to complete me. Bad line from a really good movie. You complete me. This is way before these guys' times. Jerry Maguire. Yeah, look it up. <laughs> but 
But yeah, so we're not looking for someone to make to make me feel okay about myself, to validate myself. And that's very common with younger relationships. For example, the 15-year-old is like, I want to date the quarterback because then I'll feel cooler and more popular. So we want to be dating someone looking for a true partner. And like you said, you talked about trusting your instincts, trusting your gut. Obviously, when I called off my wedding, it was my gut telling me the entire time, this is not right, this is not right, me trying to make it work. So trusting that instinct, do you have peace? I didn't have peace with my Mm ex-fiance, even though he was a really quality individual. But that part of me that was just saying, "It's, it's just not right. And so you have to listen to that. And that's hard sometimes because, I mean, do you ever second guess yourself? Like you're like, I think I am hearing a voice of, of, from within telling me this isn't right. But a lot of other desires and um, conflicting messages can kind of mess with our heads. Yeah. I've, I fought with all my girlfriends because I think I'm a debater by nature. But really... Like the sassy ones. Absolutely. And then to build into that intimacy... Uh, a lot of counselors are like this. We have an insatiable intimacy desire. We love to know people and help understand what's going on in their lives to give them feedback and, and thoughts and perspectives. And so it's common for counselors to do that. And it's really an effective way because you think about the counseling process. You spend an hour with someone every single week talking about deep things. Well, that builds intimacy. So in the context of how do I apply this building intimacy in my dating relationships in a day and age where social media and other things kind of have changed the landscape of the connection. And again, communication theory says very, very clearly face-to-face talking is the number one intimacy builder. As soon as it's on text or email or social media, though it might be interesting information and good camaraderie and connection, it's secondary. And so I have little rules in my dating scenarios, like if, if it's not about a time factor or a meeting date or something of that nature, don't text it. Because when we start texting each other about, what did you mean by that? We start texting emotion and texting processing and texting questions, you're in trouble. Put the phone down or call. I know that's something your ear doesn't do as much as mine did. Uh, call the person and talk through it, or better yet, meet them somewhere and talk through it. Because um, intimacy can be brought back down through inappropriate secondary means of communication. I know I went to a different topic there for a minute. Sorry about that. No, but it's all related because the communication style, one of my mass media courses here was communicate. Uh, the media is the message. I remember that from Dr. Stotine, I think. So the media is the message. So the media here texting, that is going to be so inherent to the message, it's going to be hard to pull it out. And if we know from research that we get so much more information from body language, from eye contact, from pheromones even, mm-hmm. that connection, we, if we're able to, again, unless we're in some long-distance love affair, we want to have that face-to-face contact as much as possible to build that true intimacy. Yeah, and the students know I always ask them to help me understand their culture, and they're, they're always great about helping me understand. <laughs> they're so natives, <laughs> and right. we're foreigners to this land Absolutely. of Gen Z. <laughs> <laughs> but it's helpful, and, and so I know that one of the common things to do when you're considering attraction to someone that could lead to potential dating is you trade your Snapchat, and I understand that, but it's building on secondary intimacy instantly. And so I'm not saying don't trade the Snapchat and send stuff and the messages and the pictures and all that. I'm saying just make sure it's equal time with face-to-face, person-to-person, unless you're overseas or something like that. And then still I'm saying spend the money on the phone call or the FaceTime rather than just let the entire relationship be built through secondary intimacy. If some of you guys watch Love is Blind, anybody fan here? Karen introduced me to it. And of course, a couple of psychologists, we were just absolutely geeking out over the whole thing. And now the second one's out. And so my daughters were watching it the other day and I watched a little bit of that one as well. Part of it I really like, right? Because they build the MC how conversation without even seeing each other. Now that's not great that they don't have the visual because that obviously messes with the results, but it's still built simply on the human voice talking back and forth. And you can hear them change their tone and change their temperament and their tenor and start to learn how the other person receives information and changes it. And then you see what happens when the physical is there. And then if the attraction's not there, we always do some psychoanalysis immediately. Like the first two steps that the woman or man takes, we're, we're already saying, oh, it's done. No shot. You can just tell me if, if the woman backs up at all on the meeting, it's over. 
there's just these scenarios then because that third piece is important. But I love the building factor that they truly have. And this is what trips some of the people out on Love is Blind that, hold it, we had such a great connection because that is true. They built an appropriate emotional, mental intimacy, but that physical is just as important. Right. They had the two... Well, not the commitment yet, but they had that real deep intimacy that was probably very different, felt very different from their typical approach to dating if they're doing what you described, kind of that getting to know each other via Snap. Absolutely. I'd love to connect with you via my weekly newsletter. Joining the Love and Life email list ensures you're the first to know everything going on in the Love and Life family. You'll receive insider perk pricing for consultations and events, And it's the best way to keep in touch when I do what the research suggests is very healthy and take breaks from social media. Subscribe on my website, loveandlifemedia.com. And as a bonus, you'll get my free empowered dating playbook. Is there any questions that anyone has now before we switch gears in a little bit of other topic? Do you want to grab one from the came in from Instagram? Absolutely. Yeah, she's got one for us. Uh, developing emotional intimacy when you have little relationship experience. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. I'll start and then have Karen throw in from there. So I think, first of all, a lot of us struggle with our emotions, identifying our emotions, our expressing our emotions. And so if you know that you're highly left brain and a little more cognitive, a little more structured in your thinking rather than emotional based in your thinking, um, how do I know that if you are or not? Well, do you cry at commercials? That's a good sign. You're highly sensitive with your emotions. I'm not making fun of that. I do too. So uh, that that's part of that that process. But if you're struggling to identify them, I do this with men in marriage counseling all the time. Write them out. Write what you're feeling, even if you can't feel it. I know that sounds like an oxymoron or a paradox, but it really does help. And so if someone's feeling, Ariana, I'm assuming what this person's asking is if they're feeling like, I don't know what my emotions are. I'm not sure how I'm feeling about this potential person or whether it's safe to move on, then I would write that out a little bit. And then, of course, talk to someone that you trust that does know you, has intimacy with you in a long-term relationship, and ask for that guidance, uh, trusting our best friends. You know, I'm always of the opinion that if our best friends can't stand our date, that's a major warning. It's okay if they're jealous or, you know, there's a little odd communication there, a connection. And sometimes our parents don't like our dates and, you know, we're like, well, that's too bad. And other times when you get to the point where it's like marriage and your parents who you trust and love are like really against it, that's the kind of stuff you got to listen to and writing that emotional piece out to figure out what your emotions are or to build some emotional intimacy through experiential opportunities would be one thought. Yeah, I'm going to, it's hard to say exactly what the questioner was, was getting at, but I know I've spoken to some women in my community who maybe are in their late twenties, even early thirties and have not had any real legitimate relationships. It's been, you know, some couple dates here and there, and they feel a bit of shame about that. It's been a desire of their heart and it hasn't happened. And what does that mean? And so I always encourage them to recognize that first of all, not having a lot of relationship experience can be a really good thing because those of us who have been kicked around a bit, (laughs) sometimes we're bringing some of that baggage into the next relationship. Someone who's been cheated on might with their next boyfriend, assume he's going to cheat too. And so they're setting him up for for to just assume that you're going to do me wrong, just like he did me wrong. So there's a lot to be said about having little experience. And I, I so I really encouraged the, the woman who was in my community was talking about that to see that as a strength that you are, like we talked about earlier too, if you're in your late twenties, early thirties, you've had a lot of time to do what we've been talking about today, really get to know yourself. And so that's a strength too, that someone who's just gone from boyfriend to boyfriend, to boyfriend, to boyfriend, since they were in middle school, hasn't had that time to, who am I? outside of partnership. And the more you know yourself outside of partnership, the stronger you can be in that partnership because you don't do things that some people do. If they've serial dated, they might go, okay, uh, hey, boyfriend, I'm feeling down. I'm feeling this, that, and the other. Make me happy. Yeah. And if we've, uh, if we've been hurt in some dating experiences or been afraid and we don't trust our emotions, and if there's just a sense that I can't be hundred percent real with this person I'm dating, Again, just a major sign of concern. It could be your issue, not theirs. But 
in our sexuality class, students who are from there, remember, remember Balswick and Balswick's circle of authenticity? And are you, are you being controlled at all? Are you being conditionally loved at all? Is there shame brought? You know, you had to admit, hey, I did something wrong or something went bad or I was late uh, for some date or some activity and rather than grace, there's shame. And so there's just kind of these barometers and that can lead to us not feeling emotionally safe also. And it's instinctually, if I'm not feeling like I want to share my heart at all with this date, even if I got some of my own baggage I'm bringing, it's just another warning sign to consider. Maybe it's not a safe relationship. Yeah, I've had women in my community talk about, and I was accused of at one point with my ex-fiance of being emotionally unavailable. And yes, we want to make sure that we are in touch with our emotions and that we do, in appropriate pacing, begin to feel comfortable disclosing who we really are. But I always submit also, we for any of those kind of statements, we have to look at the flip side. You will be emotionally unavailable to the wrong people mm-hmm. for you. And that's great. That's a gift question came in yeah so we have another one um what is the spark defined as and can it be built Mm. that's such a good question i will start with the spark is just that natural that natural attraction that you have and it's different for everyone and i love this there's research on this it could like i talked about earlier there could be even partly due to pheromones can i do a sidebar little yes please give them sidebar psych research geek study so crazy all right so We are attracted to people on a level that we're not even aware of, subconscious level, who we will make really healthy babies with. That's the the final portion of this study. And how they tested it is they had, because think about it, if you line up 10 men and 10 women, each of us, I mean, there might be like, I don't know, a movie star type who everyone's going to rate as being super, super attractive. But then for most of us who are in the just the average looking people, some people are going to be like, oh, that's, that's the guy. He is smoking. Someone else will be like, no, he doesn't. No, this is the guy I found attractive. So what researchers did is they had men wear T-shirts for two days, never take them off, and sleep in them and everything. So that their natural body smell, not like B.O., stinky smell, but their natural smell would be on these T-shirts. And then they had women come in and sniff all the T-shirts and then rate which ones that they liked the most. And then they did blood work to figure out what would, as far as their compatibility, because we can see this. I mean, back in the day, people had to have blood work before they got married because you wanted to make sure that you weren't bringing any kind of, every once in a while, two genetic pools get together and you have something that's not going to be healthy for the child. And anyway, so the scientists were able to evaluate and find out that the women preferred the scent of the guy with whom they would have the healthiest baby. The baby would have the healthiest immune system all beneath our consciousness. So we do have to pay attention to that spark. Getting back to the question, she's like, oh, that was 10 minutes ago, but (laughs) I can't be long-winded. But we do need to pay attention to that spark because it's not just because we want to have that romantic and sexual chemistry, which we do. We absolutely do because like Elliot said, when you're married and you've been married a long, long time and there's been hardships and struggles and goodness knows what life will throw your way, that sexual bond is powerful. And it's necessary. And you want to have amazing, passionate sex with your partner because otherwise, if you didn't, if the sex part weren't important, the passion weren't important, we'd just go and marry our best friend. And for me, that would have been a bunch of gay guys that I was (laughs) best friends with. It's a true story. Lots of stories behind there. But anyway, uh, so can it build? I don't think it's a bad idea to give the spark a bit of time. So, So people in my space get asked this a lot. And some people will say, if you don't feel it on the first date, bye. I totally disagree. I think a first date is a great place to start. And you do want to kind of take your own temperature. Like, am I feeling that attraction? But especially for women, we find that maybe he's not looking like Tom Cruise or whoever, whatever Hollywood person is your person. Ryan Gosling was hot for a while, whatever. Maybe they don't look like that person, but they're so funny and they're so caring and they've got this really beautiful smile and kind eyes and they're really intelligent and they treat you so well. For women in particular, we'll do a little gender difference here. Women, that spark can develop. That being said, I would say give it, like if you know this is a quality person within the first couple of dates, you're like, I'm just not feeling it for this guy, but I can tell this is a quality person. Give it maybe four or five, six dates, especially that first date. He might be super nervous. So he's not able to be quite as charming as he really is, but don't go past that. Do not date him for four years and almost marry him. And then two months before the wedding, you have to call it off. It's no, don't do that. Don't, no, no. I think the, uh, 
If you're not attracted to the person, don't date them in the first place. Doesn't that make sense? That sounds simple, right? But if you're not truly attracted to them as a person, not just their looks or their sense of humor or even their godly character, uh, don't date them. But then secondly, that is supposed to grow. It's part of that building up of appropriate intimacy. And if you do pace it well, it's it's the classic, you know, talk before you touch, touch before you hug, hug before you caress, caress before you're removing clothing. We can go on and on, right? It's that building and pacing the appropriate way that spark will develop and that intimacy desire for the sexual piece, which is biologically driven and a part of who God made you to be, should then even ramp up more. So... I think we're giving you both sides. Yes, it can, that spark can develop differently, especially for a woman and her nurturing and her sense of empathy and connection. Uh, but there should be just some type of attraction ability, even if you can't explain it or can't describe it. It should be there. Yeah, and I do think, and I'm sure you would, I don't know if I'm trying to think of a research study that would confirm it, but I mean, you have we have heard that guys are more sight-stimulated to the point where, they may not, like five dates with a woman who they just aren't attracted to. It's just probably not even yeah, worth it. I don't it. think it would happen. Right. It would, yeah. He's not doing that. But again, if, right. if the physical sexual part gets bonded quickly, oh sure, then it could be a sexual bond that's not even an attractional bond. And that would seem yeah. like that shouldn't be the case, but that can develop and happen quite mm-hmm. regularly. Yeah. And it is great that best friends can become lovers. That's wonderful. Um, but often the, the marriage relationship, the best friend part develops so steadily, you know, I've been married 33 years now. We are truly better friends than we were when we first started dating. Doesn't that make sense? Yeah. Spend 33 years, have a bunch of kids, go through all kinds of changes and life things. But my attraction to her is greater now. And though she's a beautiful 56 year old woman, she doesn't look quite the same as she did at 21. Right. I know I look the exact same as I did when I was 18, but I don't know what's up there. But you understand what I'm saying? Or do you see that cute couple in their in their 80s and they're holding hands? You know, they're crazy about each other. That's that spark that's still there based on all those areas of intimacy that have been experienced and understood, appreciated, affirmed and accepted. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I like that answer. Let's talk about some of those strategies. First of all, I think I made the point clear. Talk and talk in person as much as you can. That sounds so simple. So what does that mean, for example? That means a, a date where you were just taking a walk around campus, or I know you get sick of campus, uh, a walk around somewhere else off campus is better to me than a movie date. Even if the movie's awesome and you get to snuggle a little bit. So I'm not saying avoid movies. I love movies too. There's nothing wrong with that. But like going bowling with your date is a better thing to do than necessarily watching six to eight episodes of Love Island as much as that's enjoyable. So again, I'm not against those forms of entertainment. I'm just trying to give you strategies again. How do I build this so I really know and can be known? And then I do this with couples who are struggling, been married 30 years and they're struggling or premarital work or six years and they're ready to get divorced. Thematic date nights. It sounds prescribed and boring and I tell you it is not. Thematic date nights. Literally talk to each other about, hey, I know you hate tacos, so we'll go somewhere else. We're going to go to Olive Garden or something. And let's just talk about our families this date. Now, that helps someone who's not emotionally engaged by nature or who feels a little bit of shame maybe about some of the family stuff that went on because now it's structured. Now it's like, hey, we have time. We know this Friday we're going to talk about families. Or as the relationship builds a little bit and it's starting to grow and you're like, wow, there's some sustaining power here. Let's talk about money. That's fun. Well, there are some business majors here. They think that'd be fun probably, but let's talk about how we view money and what are some goals about money. Um, Talk about past relationships. I know it's like, oh my gosh, that can be crazy. And Karen and I would advise you don't do that second date. That's not a good idea. But if you're like six months in or eight months in, it's probably wise to bring up past relationships a little bit. Doesn't mean you have to air all dirty laundry, but it is helpful and effective in relationships. Right, Most of you who have really good roommates, like you've bonded with, like my best friends are still my college roommates. I mean, we're still that tight. We knew each other's stories. We knew them very early. That's just part of that bonding that happens to your same gender. And so why should your roommates know more than your date? Now, again, early on, they have to earn that. It's time, it's experience. So those are just a couple ones right off the bat. Another one is trying to make sure you spend time with your friend group. 
I know it's hard on a college campus like this to get your time alone. And so you really crave that. That's why the Forest Preserve is busy on weekends. But you really got to make sure you spend time with your social groups and introduce your date to your friend groups. Again, not necessarily the first time, but as it's building and growing and make sure there's connection there. I like to think of it as an equal balance. Like as much time as you spend alone, spend with your groups. And then when it's appropriate and it's starting to build, then introduce to your friends that aren't a part of campus. And then eventually to your family. Even if you don't have a great relationship with your own family, it's still appropriate to build that intimacy, to be known, appreciated, affirmed, accepted, to introduce to that friendly or to your church or to your community. I think it's that building. So that sounds maybe like a lot in a hurry, but there's steps to that. And as you get a little more um, firm in your attraction and appreciation for each other, you have to build that intimacy in a wide manner. I want to give Karen time to talk before I throw out another one. No, I was just thinking when we talk about pacing, can we concretize Mm -hmm. pacing? Because I think that can be hard. What one person might think, oh, I took it slow. And they're like, we're engaged. It's been three weeks. We took it real slow. So how do we, can you, and I'm sure different couples would have slightly different pacing, but in general, is there some sort of timeline that you can, if you are enjoying and you're getting to know each other, you're taking your time with the emotional build, the physical build, introducing friends to see how your friends respond to this person. I mean, I wouldn't be one to be bringing someone home real quickly. That wasn't my style. It was more yours, but. (laughs) Yeah, but there was a difference between how my mom and dad reacted to Angie compared to other girls in my life. (laughs) Yeah. When my mom said, don't screw it up, I knew I had a much better choice than other conversations we had had. But I I would think it it, will put it in college context because it's college campus, but like one semester. You need a semester of knowing each other before I think you just start jumping into those next levels. And again, what happens a lot is we get infatuated, which is fine, and we jump in so intensely, and especially if we get the physical sexual bond going so quickly, then it feels like, well, I got to introduce them to mom now. We, we just slept together last weekend. And so even if it's a third date, we just start jumping into that next level. And so if we are appropriately pacing it, I think that context of like three, four months of developing, and again, if we don't overdo it, so I talk about Sabbath dating, meaning don't see each other on purpose, at least once a week. And that seems like so contrary to the fun we're having with each other. All it's going to do is build more fun, more energy, or having one night for sure you're hanging out with your guy friends while she's hanging out with her girlfriends. This is a, believe me, this is a special time of life you never get back. I don't want to be freaking you out. But this college environment, some of you love it, some of you might hate it, but this college environment with your roommates, your teammates, your choir buddies, you just went on tour, all that stuff. Don't segregate yourself from that group bonding, that social community bonding. In fact, it'll grow your romantic relationship, your dating relationship, if you can equally give time to both. Same thing is true. Uh, once you're married or once you're, you know, in a different life other than school to make sure you're still connecting with those guy friends, making sure you're still connecting with those girlfriends and giving that some time and balance. It builds that interdependence so you don't get that codependent sense like, oh, my gosh, where are you going tonight? You know, even if you've been home like 36 straight nights in a row and she's like, well, you can't go out because um, we get just so needy because we don't have the context of community around us. And then we can put those unfair demands on each other that aren't healthy. Yeah. And it speaks to something like if you would just ditch your friends the minute you've got someone that you're starting to see that goes back to the values. If you say that you're someone who values friendships, but then you're starting to talk to someone and all of a sudden that's the only person you want to see. Well, you're not living your life in accordance with your values. And personally, as a woman, if a guy was like too much too soon, that really turned me off because it freaked me out. And it made me think, like we talked about earlier, oh, he probably just wants a girlfriend and anyone will do. And I want to be- Or he just wants your body. But yeah, so I didn't want someone who would just want any girl. It's looking back at your values again. Yeah, and I think as guys, young guys, we get ourselves in trouble. We think the woman's awesome. We enjoy spending time. We're really attracted. We're all in. And so then we start catering or trying to please her all the time. And so then our guys are like, dude, you said we were going to play video games all night then you stay to that commitment to your guys and, and you man up enough to tell your girlfriend, even if you had not told her the truth earlier to say, Hey, 
I promised the guys I was going to hang out tonight. I'm sorry. Um, we can hang out tomorrow night. And you, and you start putting those kind of boundaries up soon. And guys, we tend to get ourselves in trouble telling little half-truths to our ladies all the time and dancing around things. We really have other commitments we thought about or talked about. And a girl, trust me, a girl would rather have your honesty and your integrity than your catering and your pleasing. So that takes time. And She'll be really attracted gotta, to that. Absolutely. Even if she's ticked. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. she's she's starting to fall for you. She's infatuated too. So she's in this space of wanting to see you 24-7 as well. But she will admire you and respect you. A quality woman's going to respect that you honor your commitments. She's going to realize that right now it's a momentary pain of like, oh, I really want to see him tonight. But she sees that the value of honoring his commitments and being a good friend to his guys and a man of his word. Huge. A smart girl's going to go, this is someone I can trust so that if we are five years later, still together, and he tells me something, then I know he's a man of his word. I appreciate his honor and his character and his integrity. And if we get the conditional statements on those kind of things, well, if you really loved me, you would. Well, then that's one of those danger signs or the shaming. You know, I can't believe you're that kind of guy. I can't believe you lied and you're deceitful and, you know, you love your friends more than you love me. And we get all those kind of language. Those are just the signs you probably need to see or hear. And I'm not saying this gives guys excuses to constantly go back on their word. That's not the point at all. Karen was reiterating, men, we need to stand up. You know, I call it mowing the yard, M-O-W, man of your word. We need to be a man of our word. That helps a woman be the wow, woman of her word, because she's going to feel that peace and that strength to then lean into your truth and trust you at your word so that we feel better, they feel better, and you continue to build that intimacy. Yeah. What else you got for us with the tangibles? I mean, most of you at your stage of life have very strong hormones, right? Enjoy them. But again, <laughs> if you are trying to build intimacy the right way, then be smart about what you do on your dates, where you go, and what you're doing. Because if you lay down on the couch in the dark for five hours, you are in trouble, right? And we're like, I don't know what happened. Well, really? Backtrack and walk through that pacing and see what happened. So you just got to be really intelligent about that. So as you guys know from my classes, I got myself in a lot of trouble sexually prior to meeting my wife. And then when I was doing it the right way with my wife and building intimacy and being very careful, only kissing her and not kissing her that often, my friends and her friends started to make fun of me. Isn't that interesting? I'd already told them of my sexual sin and my problems in my past. Now I'm doing it the right way with the right kind of woman who I really wanted to get to know and build that intimacy. And now, of course, we've been married this long. And it's so countercultural that even my friends were teasing me about not being more aggressive. So when you build these kind of systems of honesty and integrity and respect, it might not be super well received by your friends, but know the Lord's honored, know your girlfriend or boyfriend are honored, and know you're really going to be building that intimacy in a way uh, that is forever. Have you heard? You can now listen to my book, Single is the New Black. Don't wear white till it's right. As you know, I wrote the book I wish had been available to me when I was single. So obviously, it's not about how to snag a man. Rather, it's all about how to stay strong amidst single shaming and remain true to yourself and never settle for anything less than an extraordinary relationship. Find it on Audible or iTunes. And for a free sample, check out Chapter 11 of Single is the New Black in Episode 145 of Love and Life. Ariana, I think we had one other question that came in earlier. Is that correct? Yeah. So this question is, how can anxious and avoidant styles heal and create a healthy relationship together? Yeah. And that's a pattern that is common. It's normally the avoidant male and the anxious female. And that gets in a cycle of spinning. Um, and I don't know how to... Karen, do you want to give them a little attachment theory first and then I'll come back in? Yeah. just And, and I do have podcast episodes. Elliot's spoken to both anxious attachment style and avoidant attachment style. And attachment is basically your, your default way of connecting. It, it comes from the developmental psych lit. And, and so it looks at the research on mother-infant attachment. And the theory is that if I had an, a inconsistent mothers who didn't really 
come to me when I was crying, whether I had a dirty diaper or I needed a bottle or whatever what it was that I had that inconsistency. So that caused me to be anxious in terms of believing that someone would want to bond with me. And I carry that into my romantic relationships as an adult. And then avoidant might be another way of having that inconsistent relationship with the primary caregiver, which has left me, because I don't trust that intimacy is available to me, I will just pull back and just be very scared and avoidant, just like it sounds, of attachment. So we get a lot of guys who tend to be avoidant um, because they've been hurt by relationships, parental caregivers or previous girlfriends, so they don't trust their emotional connection or their ability to express that. And so it doesn't mean they don't love their girlfriend or enjoy building intimacy with their girlfriend, but when it gets to those fine lines, they'll pull back a little bit. And when a woman who has some anxiety about that attachment sees him retreat, she tends to chase. And, and so we get in that cycle of the avoiders avoiding and the anxious ones pursuing. And so to get back to the question, yes, that can be healed and kind of uh, reconciled and new patterns developed, but those are often root causes pretty deeply in and, and need to be investigated. Simply knowing that you have that is a huge step, a huge plus, but it does often take many sessions uh, I'm not trying to recruit more counseling, but it often takes many sessions to to get how do I stop being avoidant with the one I love? Because ironically, avoidant men in particular build strong attachments with others when the risk isn't there. So they might even say, well, I'm really cool with the guys or with my mom, my sister, my other girlfriends, uh, not romantic ones, just girls that are friends. And yet with this woman where it's so vulnerable and so real, I can retreat a little bit, even when they don't want to. So I work with a lot of couples that this avoidant, anxious attachment style was not there premaritally. But it then surfaces once that commitment, that bond of, wow, we're married for life takes place, it kind of comes back up. And so recognizing it, understanding it, when we are giving those conditional statements or shameful statements or degrading statements, we know we're talking out of that woundedness, um, acknowledging that, apologizing for it, and then really building specific strategies Listen to those podcasts if this is resonate with any of you or for the uh, Insta Live listener. And I'd certainly talk to others about it more also. It just goes back to that healing because as you were talking, I kept having these thoughts of two different wounds that you spoke to that that avoidant person, part of the recoiling, may, maybe he doesn't fully, they're perhaps concerned that if they are fully vulnerable and intimate with their spouse, that they'll be seen for who they are and not yeah. loved. Like that fear of like, if I show you who I am, fully, even though we walk down the aisle and we have rings, will you still love me? And then I'm thinking the attack, the anxious is thinking she doesn't trust to lean back and let him come to her, her anxiety about, I need this relationship to be strong and intense mm -hmm. to validate me. So again, that, that personal woundedness, again, as an individual playing into the relationship dynamic. Yeah. One of the couples I work with, I've worked with a long time since they were here, probably seven years ago. Um, they just went through a really difficult experience where he actually left the marriage for a while. And he basically had unearthed some things in his soul that he wasn't aware of that were there. He didn't cheat on her. He didn't go gamble away their savings or anything like that. He just went and spent a couple days in a hotel room by himself, seeking the Lord, praying, crying, worshiping. He's a talented musician. Uh, and then came back to his wife and acknowledged, I think I haven't fully been me for our entire relationship. Wow. That's scary. But to her credit, she gave him grace and love and they wept together and prayed together and they're rebuilding. Now, she admitted to me just this week. She texted me, said, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with some of the anxiousness now because it's like, holy cow, now we're building this again and right. it's so deep again and I'm falling in love with him even more. But how will I know if it pulls back? And one of the things we talked about is if he stays true now to revealing who he really is and it's affirmed, appreciated, accepted, going back to those three A's. You can trust it and go all in. She's already committed. She didn't, she wasn't going to leave him in the first place. So that's just an example, Ariana, for our instill question about how it can develop, even though his avoidantness developed five, six years into the marriage. And if this person is in partnership right now, Ellie does do couples counseling virtually as well. So okay. just saying. Yeah. So any other questions? What's your guys' take on the five love languages? Hmm. I have a friend, also a Judson alum, who claims that they saved her marriage. And she got married in late 20s, and so they knew each other, and they dated for a long, long time, so they had a lot of connection as a couple. 
and they definitely had spent a lot of time single, even though they were dating, but they knew who they were, but then they hit a, a bump uh, kind of in the road and had to revisit some of those fundamentals. I thought they were like interesting, but maybe just too simplistic to be powerful. But after hearing her experience with it, it was just so transformative for their marriage that it really caused me to buy into them. Yeah, I, I use a, a similar document in my premarital work or early marriage work, but I use 10 because I think it's similar to what Karen was saying where she liked the five, but I thought there should be more. So I added a spiritual one that was much more specific. I added a presentation one. That's an interesting love language. How do you present your boyfriend or girlfriend to the public? I think that's significant. And, and so there's some that I add to that. And I think like all the tools in my class, my students know I love all these handouts, so they're getting them all the time. So you know I, I believe in them. It's information to be gained and understood, but if it's not applied, it does very little. So if you know your boyfriend loves gifts and yet you refuse to give him gifts, well then I'm glad you know it. It's not helping the relationship. So I think it adds a level of responsibility. If you dive into that together and really know what those are, then you need to meet them. Um, my wife is an acts of service gal. I learned that very early. And jumped all in, and I enjoy that part. I enjoy giving that thing. But neither of us are gift givers at all, and yet two of our children, primary gift givers. That's what they love. That's how I receive it. And so we have to meditate on that, seriously. Like, a birthday's coming up. He or she really likes gifts. All right, let's talk through this, because it's just not our nature at all. Mm -hmm. We've gone for years without giving each other birthday presents or Christmas presents, holidays, anything. Doesn't phase us one iota. We don't worry about it. We got four kids in college. It's a lot of money to be spent. We will just take a walk around the neighborhood and have a red lobster and we're wonderful. So it's understanding each other, knowing what those are and how to build in them. Same with Enneagram. I like it. It's good stuff. Myers-Briggs. All those are good. If, if, if they're not applied and you're not respecting, understanding and using, they're just words. Good question. Uh, what's the place uh, for reading scripture and prayer uh, together like early like in developing intimacy? Great question, Joel, especially for those of you who are involved in a faith relationship. So actually, scripture and prayer together is one of the most intimate forms of bonding outside of sex. And so I'm all for it. You just need to be careful with it. Because I've had many student couples in my office saying, I swear to you, all we were doing was reading the Bible together. And next thing you know, we were in trouble. Uh, and, and you can see how God would unite that anyway, can't you? That, that it's all part of Christ loving the church is our representation of us, man and woman. And so it builds really deep intimacy. So I'm for it. You just got to recognize its power, right? It's like if you're reading a, a book about sex together and expect that not to excite you, you're, you're not very smart. So I encourage couples to read about sex books separately initially, not together. And even after you're engaged, to be careful. When I do premarital work, the sex session is the last one, not the first one, right? So you got to understand yourself, your drive, your biological. And so Bible reading is a very, very intimate thing together. It's certainly part of that spiritual assessment. Do we love God's word together? Can we share God's word together? Can we learn together? If you have some gifts in understanding the Bible and can share that with your, your partner or spouse, that's a wonderful thing. I did that with my wife even long before I knew God had asked me to be a pastor or I kind of knew and I was denying it. Either way, I would do that as well. The first thing that sold me on my wife is she prayed for me over the phone. She was in Volkman. I was in Wilson. And I had not even dated a Christian before. And all of a sudden, she's, she said she was going to pray for me. And I said, okay. And I started to hang up and she started praying. And so I remember I took the phone. I was like, my roommate Todd, I'm like, she's praying for me. I'm like, wow, that's cool. But it was super intimate. It was super, it made me bond to her really, really quickly, especially because I'd rededicated myself to the Lord and I knew she was serious about her faith. And so it's a powerful, appropriate thing, Joel. It's just understanding how that intimacy, how that level of intimacy can supercharge it. And so just being wise and kind and and maybe even reading scripture separately and sharing to talk about it rather than being right next to each other and diving into a deep Bible study. Did I answer okay? Or Okay. Any other questions? 
Five minutes past. All right, we will wrap up. Karen, any closing comments for your Insta-livers? No, just thanks to everyone for joining us. And I hope it's been valuable and give you something to think about and and actually, actually also some practical tools for building that legitimate, genuine, authentic intimacy. We really appreciate you guys joining us today. I will say one thing. I created this kind of a working document I called Intimacy Imperatives that I'll send out to my class. And Tim, if any of your students want it, I will send it to you as well. Thank you for letting us have the studio. Okay, can I close in prayer for us? Yes. Let's have everybody stand and with my baseball guys, take your caps off for me. <clears throat> and non-baseball guys. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the gift of intimacy. Thank you, Father, for uh, my sister's platform and her love of connecting and sharing your words and the words of psych research and understanding of human life and human condition. And we pray, Lord, this has been a blessing and honored you, glorified you, that we learned and we grew. Lord, intimacy is not wrong. It is not sinful in itself. Uh, We also know, Lord, that Satan will try to dive in and distort our intimacy. So we ask for protection and care and wisdom. And may we reach out in community to love one another in a way that represents your love of the church and your love of us. We thank you for this time together. Amen. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril.